This is the Deep Color podcast series. Deep Color is an oral history project where I talk with artists about their work and their lives. The ultimate goal here is to give listeners a better understanding about the experiences and people behind the artwork. My name is Joseph Hart, and I produce and facilitate this series. These recordings are casual, straight on, and unscripted. This episode features Adrian Rubenstein. Adrian makes oil paintings that oscillate between natural representation and abstraction. The work often depicts different varieties of plant life, insects, or anthropomorphic forms, all treated with a loose and impressionistic touch. Adrian's paintings are beautifully deceptive in that they are serious and self-critical and humorous all at once. Some of her newest paintings will be on view this December at Nada Miami Beach. STEMS Gallery, which is based in Brussels, will be presenting her work. We recorded the following conversation at her studio space in Brooklyn just before the work shipped to Miami. You know, some of the artists I talk to, they're, when I'm when I'm like, you're a painter, you're a sculptor, you're a performance artist. Some people don't like those sort of categories, which I understand. Um, and they were like, I'm just an artist. Do you? Would you use a one of these sort of categories to describe yourself or the work you make? I don't know. I'm so schizophrenic. I would go. I would be fine with any category. Yeah. I feel like um, I'm a lot of things: curator, artist. I make the sculpture, but I, they're kind of like painting mm-hmm. sculptures. They're like not, I'm not a sculptor because I don't really have the technical ability that my friends who are r- real sculptors have developed. So I feel I have technical ability with painting, even though, but it's like more cheating too, even I feel like. So right, right. I don't know. I, I don't care. Right. About it. None of it would bother me. It doesn't bother me at all. The works I first saw of yours were paintings. Yeah. Paintings on the wall. Um, and the works I'm looking at in your studio now, there are the the the, the few ceramics, or maybe those are plaster gauze sculptures. Are yeah, these they ceramic? Have gauze over them. They're yeah. fake ceramic. Fake it's ceramic. Like ceramics made out of art supplies. Yeah, but the majority <laughs> of the work in here are, are oil paintings. Yeah. And if you were to describe these to someone, let's say I mean you've probably been in this situation before where you like meet a friend of a friend or a family member at a party or something or at a get-together and like so what do you do i'm like oh I'm, a, I'm an artist and what type of art do you make and you say i say that i'm a painter and then i make jokes about how i'm like an old-fashioned painter because <laughs> i paint i don't know i, I paint i paint kind of subject matter that is still life or landscape mm-hmm. i mean it's not really just that but i like I guess I like responding to that question by like answering with a circle or a square. Like just try to give a real obvious cuz I see the paintings as fairly traditional. In terms of how they're made and the content of the yeah. paintings. Yeah. You yeah. you're using brushes and oil paint. Mhm. And are they on, they look like they're on panel. These aren't on canvas. They're on panel. Uh-huh. And the application of paint is sort of flowing and impressionistic is that a word impressionistic and um, i bet you people throw that at you regularly or or frequently does that does it would you accept that or are you like i don't like that no i accept it i one of my bosses makes fun of me a ton and says a lot of wrist like they're wrist wrist. Ah, yeah versus the elbow or the shoulder i guess 
because I do, you know, it's a lot of this yeah. gesture. Yeah, and the size is such. The yeah. size is such. Like most of these are maybe, maybe they, the biggest one in here is like 40 by 30. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like, it, well, it depends how you work, but larger work asks for that full right. arm range. But these are sort of wrist paintings. I can see that. Um, and the co they're very colorful. That's the other thing that I noticed about your paintings right away is that uh there's a reliance on color mm -hmm. and a certain temperature well some of these are like feel a little bit hotter than others but they're but they're they're chalky colors often or they're they're in a certain range is that a like a specific decision like to work I in think, that range well there's it's certain colors that i naturally tend to but i think i think that where it comes from is the painters from the group of seven which is a Canadian art movement that was like the cornerstone of my early painting instruction. It, they're kind of like post-impressionist Canadian outdoorsman painters. It was all guys and then one woman, mm -hmm. Emily Carr. Um, Tom Thompson's the most famous one. And I think that, I mean, I think maybe I naturally would have painted this way anyway, but then that helped me sort of solidify it even though then i but then i didn't paint for a really long time but mm -hmm. it goes comes back i guess right and that yeah so there's like an out well some of these have a landscape quality to them and or something organic like flowers mm -hmm. or vegetable forms and then some have you know man-made things in them like uh well, there's a table and chair uh like a t table with a still life setting in that one or this one's a bowl with something growing out of it uh but I look around your studio, these don't feel like you're out in the wild painting them. These, don't, these aren't plein air paintings. Are, are, is, this, is the imagery coming out of your imagination or do you have reference material? Where is, where, is the, where is the... When you were describing them just yeah. now, I was thinking, well, they're very natural. Like the subject matter is more nature. Okay. It's like, or things that are, I can associate with nature or which come naturally or sort of organic, but they all totally come from imagination. I'm not using any source right. material. The image, I'm like inventing the image while making the painting, and it's kind of like a process of trying to uncover a memory or even like uh, to turn like a fine thread of a memory into a more fleshed out picture. Mm -hmm. um, and they definitely sometimes reference particular paintings that I've seen mm -hmm. but or they or like an image that somebody sent me and but the way that that manifests in the painting is sort of more um like uh, emotional I guess yeah 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 and they sentimental seem, they seem responsive too like you don't make little sketches for these or anything or maquettes you just mm -mm. you set up and go mm -hmm. and do you mix your colors beforehand I guess circling back to your palette um, that also seems responsive. You're, you're selecting these colors sort of on the fly and making the mark or making the shape, which will dictate the shape next to it, and then through the whole picture plane into a composition. Does that sound about right? I always had a big problem being able to afford paint. And I think recently the paintings have become a lot more color-based and more vibrant because I can like buy a bit more paint. I figured out how to buy big lots of gambling paint on eBay for one thing, but also I just have like got on my feet since grad school more recently and I can like afford paint. So I think that's part of 
that's part the, the, of the influence. The amount of paint. Yeah, yeah some of like these are kind of caked up. I have paint now. It's so cool. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I used to try to get like five different things out of one tube of paint, but mm-hmm. now the variety is much more plentiful mm-hmm. because of having different options. And I think also, like, I've always had a bit of a reluctance towards like sort of store-bought materials so i would try to make my own paint and make my own gesso like art store-bought materials yeah okay like all pre-processed stuff like i would want to work from the most elemental place that i could get to mm-hmm. um but yeah they've just gotten more and more colorful and i guess that's what i like looking at i mm-hmm. mean that's what appeals to me so i think i'm indulging myself a great deal yeah <laughs> And the broccoli form, like I was sort of, I was looking at your portfolio, uh, your uh, your portfolio that's online mm-hmm. last night, anticipating coming to see you, and it seems like that broccoli form has goes back a number of years. Can can <laughs> yeah. you quantify that for us? <laughs> yeah, I can. I've, I mean, it's so clever broccoli. It was kind of started as a bit of a joke, maybe. Like I had. Like, before working with broccoli, I did this, like, obsessive project about honeybees for a really long time. Yeah, I remember time, seeing a like honeybee painting. For, like, five or six years. On your, on your Yeah, then I made, site. like, this one honeybee paint. But that back, like, when I was between undergrad and grad school, I made, like, hundreds of drawings of bees using this process that I invented. And they were obsessive and crazy. And, I mean, I don't want to say that they weren't very good, but... I just got sort of stuck in a loop and I guess the same kind of thing in a way has happened with broccoli but after so the bees I saw as this like crazy like scientific life and death agriculture bee insect communication like complicated thing that I kept getting curious about the different applications and the philosophy and learning how to keep bees or whatever Mm -hmm. so I went from thinking about that kind of minutia of nature to thinking about broccoli which is like a miniaturized sort of landscape like I was thinking about it initially as a crop that maybe bees help pollinate but then I was like no just the broccoli itself is like this stupid green flower like I can't get that interested in it because it is not interesting you know like I was kind of trying to foil myself and then but the minute I locked onto it I just had like so much pleasure and possibility from it so then I just haven't been able to stop now I've been locked it's like even longer like six or seven years in this ridiculous loop yeah even in an on an aesthetic level it's just an interesting form it's a great it's got a really cool contour there's like there's positive and negative play um Mm -hmm. yeah i can i can i can understand why there might be an attachment and the other thing is you, you said it sort of started off as a joke some of your paintings i feel like have a have a uh um a sense of humor um I hope I'm not misreading them, but there's, there's like the, the the peanut painting behind me that I that I saw, like flying peanuts. Yeah. Uh, like there's a lightheartedness to the subject matter in some of these paintings, but they're painted so in such a sophisticated, um, almost honorable way, like this traditional form of painting, and that mix of humor with this very serious way of painting them is mm-hmm. is a nice contradiction i guess i like contradictions they're supposed to express kind of like me getting a pie in the face (laughs) kind (laughs) of being vulnerable Uh just like the elegant vulnerability of just like being shot out of a cannon and like into a giant pie yeah (laughs) you know yeah 
or even this one like when i came in I was, you're like people say this looks like pears but it's really testicles and you know 30 seconds before you said that i was like oh look she did made a pear painting but it's oh, really? balls yeah. that's that was like a nice little reward to hear that explanation so it's the second so the other thing with broccoli obviously is that it really looks like a dick uh -huh. which was not something I anticipated in the first place. I was like, oh, here's like a cartoony kind of like Disney image, which would be like a small playful tree with like butterflies flying around it and these interesting formal qualities because it's all green. And then as soon as I started sculpting them with clay, I was like, okay, I'm making these very phallic objects. And it became kind of part, that became part of the innuendo as well. But uh, then I discovered Tatsumi Kudo, who's this Japanese um, artist that worked mostly in this. So just this balls painting here mm -hmm. is, um, I mean, it's supposed to be kind of like a peaceful erection, but it the the formal like the shape and stuff is sort of um, comes out of imagery from Tetsumi Kudo sculptures okay. and it's the second painting I've made of his because he did these things they look like kind of like balls kind of like brains kind of like a plant bulb mm -hmm. they're like anthropomorphic stuff that and that, that I really love so yeah that one that's where that one came that's out where of. it came yeah. from um let's put art 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 down for a sec I know also noticed when I was um doing my homework on you that you grew up in Canada mm -hmm. in Montreal Yep. What brought, well, what was it like growing up in Montreal? Um, Montreal. So um, it was pretty cozy. My mom and dad had both grown up there and my grandparents too, more or less. And it's the demographically, it's kind of similar to New York, but also with like a lot of French people. And the English and French side are kind of divided down the middle of the island and there was little, I thought, like little crossover. But so then there's like English Montreal and then there's like Jewish English Montreal. So it's kind of like being in a small town of 50,000 people, let's say, or I don't know, maybe it's more, it's got to be more than that, a few hundred thousand people. But like in this very metropolitan city with like a great metro system and bikes, good bike system good, there too right yeah they we have there's bixie it's like the city bike okay. thing but i'm not a big bike rider i was a big rollerblader back ah, in roller those blades. days like roller uh, to get from a to b or to like do tricks downstairs and stuff i would like to go i lived in a neighborhood with a lot of like confusing winding roads and i would like to go try to get myself lost and then try to find my way home again that's how i spent a lot of time did you also did you ice skate <laughs> yeah. in the winter yeah I did. and ski yeah skied okay, and so then really snowboarded yeah, tons okay. of outdoor mm -hmm. like you're so immune to the cold and now it seems crazy to me that we used to go play outside during recess in like minus 20 celsius yeah, yeah. weather it's a very gregarious place but it's really i mean it's really urban montreal's kind of a cool city yeah, but beautiful. i kind of also grew up in this like kind of um, sort of suburban interior, even though there aren't suburbs. Like, nobody I knew lived in the suburbs. It's kind of like Boston or something, where right. it's these little nestled neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. I don't know. And did you, were you interested in art as a kid? Were you, like, the kid that was drawing, or? Not really. No? I was interested in reading and then in theater. Okay. I think as a kid, I wanted to, like, be working among adults, so I, and I saw child actors as being a thing, so I wanted to be a 
like a actor, but my parents wouldn't let me. <laughs> so I did as many plays and stuff as I could. Like in and, school, school yeah, plays like or from community like theater for, or something? Yeah, community theater, mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. I did, like when I was little, I took art classes because my parents both worked. So my mom had me in an after school activity every day of the week. Mm-hmm. And it was like theater, skating, gymnastics, softball, swimming, skiing, art, drama, I don't know if I repeated myself, but that's, I just did everything. That's uh, sounds not unsimilar to my experience growing up where yeah. I grew up. You know, it was a combination of outdoorsy stuff because it was an outdoorsy type of place mm-hmm. um, combined with more creative stuff like arts and crafts and skateboarding. And, right. Yeah, so. But I didn't do, I mean, I didn't do any art in high school because I thought it was like, I did like biology. I, I was trying to be with like smart kids in a challenging environment. When did you when did you get into art then? Like when did um, you like in make that Sejep, which is the pre college it's like in the French system in Montreal you go into It's called Sejap? Yeah, Sejap. Okay. okay. I don't even know what that stands for. Collège something it's an acronym it's an acronym oh, okay. it's a pre college like government sort of funded thing you do it for two years in a specialized program and you have like a class schedule that's similar to university mm-hmm. and go to like a big school with like 10,000 people and then you enter university at the second year level so it like takes the place of the last year of high school and the first year of university mm-hmm. and I did a liberal arts program and I took an art class um as an elective to try to do something easy and that was when I fell in love with it what type of art class was it um I think it was a drawing, drawing or a painting class. class okay I guess that was my I was trying to yeah tiptoe towards when you picked up paints and brushes it and was then it was then and then I went to then I like got then I was like oh my god why, have I been, why haven't I been doing this this is the only interesting way to look at things I had become so bored like a little bored of the social scene of being a teenager like bored of school like I just read books and magazines all through class every day and was like depressed and miserable and then when I started making art it, my whole like perspective changed it made everything yeah. interesting to me again yeah that's great I feel like art has that transformative power for sure mm-hmm. um, it's it's really it's hard to get data for I think there are researchers that are working on putting empirical data together to prove that art can have that effect so that governments both small and big can enact policy to encourage this way of learning. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's nice to hear it like a very clear example of it working for you, like opening you up in that way. Um, Yeah. I want to change that policy too. (laughs) I think we, especially now, um, is I this guess maybe the first interview you're doing post election. It is. I did one on on election day, and I was completely distracted. Um, so we might revisit that one. I but did this is the first visits and sold art on election day. Yeah. It was pretty. This is the first post election recording I've done. Yeah. Um, do you have any? How did you take that information when it came out? Can you? Are you able to vote here? Are you? Can you I give can't to, vote. Oh, okay. I'm, Justin Trudeau is my prime minister, okay. and I don't get to vote in these elections. But yeah. the thing that I've realized—I mean, I like sat down on this floor here and cried for two hours. Like I thought I was. Were you here die. in studio that night? Yeah, I okay. was here that whole day and night, and then 
you know, and then the next day I was working again, and that's when we were at Catherine's studio. It was like, it was, I felt just like total shit. I had yeah. like the full, full shock of like roadrunner off a cliff mm-hmm. desperation. And I'm, I'm also working on my green card, and I was like, should I leave? Like, why am I spending right. all this money to stay here? Right. I just want to fucking leave. I hate this place. Yeah. But then I realized that New York is like, we have to protect we got to work to protect yeah. the rest of the country and we have to stick together. Yeah, I, I would agree. I'm still finding my footing on it all. And I read something useful uh, recently about like taking the time to heal so that you can right. properly right. engage in like doing good work to combat what's the current dialogue yeah, out self-care. there. Self-care. Yeah, self-care is really important right now and I think people like are forgetting that and, mm-hmm. but you got to be careful that you don't spend the next 10 years healing it's sort of like right. there needs to be a uh an end line so you're ready to go so like i'm operating in that space right now um but i f- feel a wave of things at any given moment usually most of them not good um have you thought about with i guess talking to your your friends and your you know other artists have have you found a coping mechanism that is is you find useful in this uh you know post election um trying month? to spend time with my friends more cuz mm-hmm. i feel like i've isolated myself a bit making this recent body of work and working at my job and i've been trying to go to more stuff and I went and yelled at the building. That was very therapeutic. Like in one of the protests? Yeah. yeah. Like you just stand in front of that Trump evil dark tower and just yell, like mm-hmm. yell at it with all these beautiful young children. It's mm-hmm. like fucking awesome thing yeah. to do. And we're organizing some events at Canada and I'm doing, working on a bunch of stuff collaboratively right. with other artists. And collectors that I work with also want to get involved. They're like, you better tell us we want to be there. Right. And we're right. And just to be clear, Canada is the gallery that you work at, yeah. even though you are from Canada. Yeah. Because some of the listeners that are listening to this will know who, <laughs> what, who yeah. what we're talking about or who you are. Um, so I want to... I'm from well, Canada and yeah. I work at Canada, but Canada, the gallery is not Canadian. It's New York right, gallery. Right. And I'm going to ask you about that yeah, into we'll the conversation. Um, oh, yeah. I yelled at some Republican collectors at the gallery. Me and Jerry Saltz yelled at people and told them to get out. They're not welcome. Yeah. Get out. What was their response? They were just kept trying to say why Hillary Clinton is like a murderer and a... Uh, so they're just using those talking yeah, points. Yeah, they were just being yeah. all like dripping revoltingness off yeah. of themselves as yeah. we yelled them (laughs) also therapeutic trying to figure out how we can have power you know yeah um it's early too i feel like we need to remind ourselves that it's it's important to feel all these things but like we're it's so early we have to figure out how to sustain this feeling while also taking care of ourselves so that we don't get docile um Right. That's something I'm thinking about. Is like you don't want to burn out. Yeah, like you know, there's ma- maintaining like personal normalcy in the face of huge abnormalcy. It's such a, it's such a trick. I don't know if there's an answer, but it's something I'm thinking about right now. There isn't like a lot of easy, like great visible leadership too. I find like all my friends agree. have, and these people I'm around have the same feelings, but there's no one like leading and directing us on a, in a more yeah. micro scale yeah so 
I think some people or groups or organizations will bubble up. Will start up. to take. Yeah. Again, I think that's connected to the earliness of all this. Right. At least that's my hope. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I guess going back to, um, well, we're talking about a problem right now and, and thinking about ways to solve that problem or address the problem. That's the first step. Um, and I, I'm a firm believer in the artist as problem solver. And I think artists and creative people are some of the best people on the planet to solve big and small problems. And a common question I ask in these um, recordings is uh, what sort of problem solving skills do you bring into the studio when these paintings are being problematic you know they're they're not working for you do you have any strategies for getting out of those creative ruts or like when we get pissed off at these things these paintings are all about problem solving (laughs) like i think of them each as a problem to be solved but first you have to set up the problem you know Mm -hmm. so i think of the problem as like a good starting point First, you have to make a problem and then sort of find some way to resolve the problem. And the way that the painting functions when it's finished is as both a problem and its re- sure. resolution. And when you say make a problem, you like like mix a bad color and put it on there or like in the no. wrong, like in, a, in an awkward position I on mean, the I picture plane? I do that sometimes, yeah. but I think it's more like... So it's kind of like a some kind of obscure, like languageless riddle where... It's like, why even make this painting? You know, like I have to embed in it some sort of purpose or and some kind of discovery. So kind of like set up with, like when I first do go to the first like drawing, like the first sort of sketch on it, like sometimes mm-hmm. I have literally no idea and then I, and I, it kind of comes mm-hmm. as I make the first sort of circle or the first line. And then it's like, oh, okay, this painting then is going to be about that memory from that street and that place and that time or like that dilemma or, um, I don't know, something that's been told to me. And then, and I work on how, trying to figure out how to, how to draw it and how to disrupt it adequately but like how to kind of finish it and give it balance but also give it the proper amount of kind of Mm open-endedness yeah and i guess you were starting to talk about you know doing an underdrawing an underpainting and you know maybe we can put the problem solving question on pause to go into how you start these like on a process level mm-hmm. uh do you just you, you come you just have a panel or is it just raw raw wood the panels because of the sort of thick oil it really needs to be gessoed and i'm always paranoid if i didn't that i didn't gesso it enough like it's I gonna hear, fall apart yeah yeah or that yeah that yeah. That the oil will eat through. That the oil yeah. will eat through. And I know disintegrate that the, the wood panel. Laura Owens like put has her studio kids do a hundred layers of gesso and they have to sand between each one and it makes like this total perfect porcelain yeah. surface. Yeah. And like I'm always in such a fucking rush and trying like I want to get to the painting, but I do apply like six layers of gesso. That's what I was told was the minimum. Six. By someone else who heard that from Amy Selman. Huh. That's a great little tip. Minimum but, six layers of gesso if you want your things stand, to stand up over time. Yeah, that's huh. what I was told. That's that's uh Sadie told me that actually. Sadie. Sadie Laska. Before that okay. I was only putting like three layers. When I was in school I was told mm-hmm. two or three is fine. And then when you you, you do like a an underdrawing? 
Um, is that with like I a I use my a, like, like leftover or? paint. Okay. And I and a paintbrush and I do a sort of a drawing that's kind of like a comic book thing and right. sometimes I fill in certain areas. I do this kind of like one layer of a image. So you sort of knock out a But a, uh, but like sometimes like a it round totally version changes. of the composition. Right, right. It of changes into a completely different image over top. But yeah, I do a sort of a kind of like an x-ray version of the image and then you start applying paint in different areas mixing yeah. the colors and then it becomes a the sort of reactive process of making a painting i think you asked if i mix colors before and i like tried to i mean i do mix them but often i end up mixing on the paint on the surface of the painting oh right so they're too. mixed on the painting not it's, on well i mix off on the palette yeah. but then i also mix on mm -hmm. like it's not the kind it's not like i will definitely put this color here mm -hmm. like it's like eight million changes mm -hmm. of mine <laughs> and before we turn the the mics on you were just i, I just sort of casually asked uh, you know you, how long you put into each one of these and it you said what? Ideally, it would be a few, yeah, a month or two mm -hmm. or a couple months, but that's like multiple revisitations. Mm -hmm. And you work on more than one at a time. Yeah. I'm just curious about workflow stuff yeah. in here. Um, so, like, you come in, you've got three going, you might work on those the next time you come in as two, you might start other ones, but you have multiple things going on at once. Yeah, I usually have about eight paintings mm -hmm. going at once, and like two of them are maybe finished like two mm -hmm. of them maybe you're just kind of started or they're all it's like the soupy mixture yeah 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 and i guess to circle back to the whole problem solving topic do you find with having five to eight paintings going on at once is a form of problem solving in itself like if one is you're not having fun with it or or you're not up for the challenge that day you just they shift die. to another one sometimes they just die they die yeah just like, like and just, then what do you destroy them or you just over them and start I over put or? them aside i mean once in a while a painting can be restored or like sometimes i just push it to a place that like objectively is fine like other people think it's fine but i think it's like terrible and i don't know all different kinds of things happen usually i try to fix them until until it's like so clear that it's impossible to fix but i so yeah i just put them aside i don't know yeah. i don't i don't break them or anything i try to reuse the materials right but then i get worried again about the gesso thing and paint eating through stuff so i'm always scared you're hung to up on the archival reusable <laughs> it's not even not because like i want them to last forever i just want to try to do things the right way yeah no i think that's an important uh philosophy there you know for every one person that's that's concerned with the longevity of their work, I meet twenty others that could give a shit. So, um, yeah, I mean, I have. A hard I almost feel time. like. Well, no, that's not true. I was going to say like, people that care about longevity are maybe in the minority, but that's probably not a fair assumption. But again, it's really to It's not. I mean, the longevity thing is nice and everything, but it's also it's like just about doing things the right way. And I have like a hard time. I tend to cut corners with a lot of things in how I do them and I just want to try to curb myself on cutting corners with this stuff because I want to like encourage I want to try to encourage myself to like do things properly like if I was an athlete training like I just want to do a good job right and take know. care of yeah yeah I get it you know mm -hmm. like yeah if you were going to have a 
drink or a coffee or a meal mm -hmm. or maybe even a studio visit with another artist alive or dead well known or not is someone coming to mind of who, who, who you'd love to have a conversation with um it's such a good question i yeah i, th I was thought about trying to prepare myself for this kind of question but i am so scattered there's so many artists that i'm I know, obsessed it's with it's like it's tough it, when i try i try to list my favorite artist like in a block of 10 like i always do this exercise i like write it down mm -hmm. like my 10 favorite artists that are my friends and then my 10 favorite that are like yeah what about just today right today? now i think well someone that just popped into my head this minute was um oldenburg i mm -hmm. really like that guy i also i mean i used to really love robert Irwin. like um I once went to, it has no bearing on my work, as you can see. Right. Although sometimes I think maybe I'll just start planting trees instead of making these paintings with oil on canvas because right. that's kind of what he did. I can see a loose connection to Oldenburg and, oh, and yeah, the way Oldenburg. your forms are depicted in these. They're sort of floppy in ways and there's a softness to them or the lack of a skeleton mm -hmm. in some of these things. So I get that. I'm interested in the formal qualities of his work and the mm -hmm. way that he sort of suspends everyday things. And also he seems like a real, he, I mean, he seems like he, like a sane kind of person, mm -hmm. just like the way he, that guy went about things. I like that he worked with his wife on those big monumental sculptures and that it became, I don't know. I love a partnership. that guy. Yeah. yeah partnership. Do you remember the first uh, piece of his you saw? Um, or theirs, I guess. I mean, I knew, of course, of his work from early on, but the piece that was really, like, pivotal for me was the ray guns, um, which are these vacuum cast ray guns that are, they're kind of like these ready-made, well, they're vacuum cast forms of a ray gun, which is a kind of like a giveaway down at, like, the Santa Monica Beach or something. Mm -hmm. It's like a, you know, like a cheap toy toy gun a toy gun yeah. yeah and he did these monochromes of that and i paralleled that with the broccoli form because it kind of they're kind of similar looking mm -hmm. and that was like very i like his subject matter a lot yeah I'm trying to think the first thing i saw of his it may have been one of his his um like soft sculpture toilets or something or maybe oh all that work from the store like those yeah. trippy artworks i saw yeah. those at mocha mm -hmm. or maybe the clothespin yeah thing I, I don't know holding on to like the first time i saw things at where i'm at in my life is very <laughs> difficult right now maybe i could have a martini with him because he did that yeah? famous martini glass would you want to have art talk with him or would you talk about just like hmm. sports i think just whatever came up yeah uh do you have any, like, I guess I'm always curious, like, the, the things that not artists... Not sports, though. Yeah, no. That was, that was, uh, <laughs> anything but I was trying sports. to think of something that would, would not fit. Uh -huh. uh, the things that artists have in their lives that they... That isn't necessarily directly connected to the work that they make, but plays, uh, like, a, like, a... Plays a role, an indirect role in... in the formation of you as a person you as an artist and maybe therefore the work as well but like i'm thinking of uh important books you may have read or films you may have seen or records you've listened to or even people that you've had in your life that have have 
had an impact? Is, is there anything on that list that we could add? Well, the gallery that I work at is pretty impactful. And I'm lucky that I ended up working there because um, it's pretty like granola. It's pretty hearty. Yeah. If you're going to have to eat a meal of art gallery every day for three courses, you know. But um, that place is influential. And I think the other sort of spinoff thing with my job is that I go to art fairs probably like eight times a year, which means that I'm in another city even more than that because I have to travel to go to stuff that we're not even doing. So I get to go see museum shows like all over the place. Mm -hmm. And it's always on this weird sort of like borrowed time, like, you know, it's like not part of your life exactly. It's like this sort of alternate reality that mm -hmm. you're kind of being co-opted into right so there's a lot of that i see a lot of art it's like all chopped up and before yeah. but before i was working in the gallery i used to love going to see lectures like when i was in grad school in san francisco the visiting lecture thing was the best thing about the school and we had like two or three people every week and i saw every fucking one like every yeah. single single thing and then i would go also lock myself there's this one room in the library that had a couch and was dark so i could nap there between classes oh good good trick and it had they had these like dvds to rent of every previous art talk mm -hmm. and i watched like the whole backlog too yeah i think i hear i, I feel like <laughs> um that's a similar uh move that a lot of people that go to skowhegan mm-hmm take away i guess they have some ridiculous right, archive of sure. of lectures that are like on cassette and stuff and there's like a listening room and you're you're like you're not supposed to copy anything or tape anything and, and so it's a sacred space and people jam out in there um can you think of a lecture that stands out from um, that time the Laura Owens one was amazing because it was really controversial. She had just been there a year or two before I started school, and people were still talking about how she, they're like, she's dumb because she just sounds like a normal person. <laughs> she wasn't trying to be smart at all. And she is, she kind of talks like a, you know, like a girl. She's She uses the word like, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I watched it to see if, if people were right, and I, thought it was really awesome she was like i was inspired by this like coffee cup and a stir stick at yeah. starbucks in missouri like yeah. it just was very casual cool mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh and yeah it wasn't steeped in like uh, like some fancy package or something like that it's just like a, a human being a human having like a sense of wonder while going about their normal mm -hmm. life and what school is this in san francisco the art institute sfai mm -hmm. um have you ever thought about what, what you might... Well, you came into art kind of late. Like you're uh, in your late teens. Yeah, like 18, 19. 18, 19. Um, have you, if, do you have a guess or like if you could... If you didn't fall into the, into the arts, where you might go professionally? I mean, I'm pretty interested in writing and writing literature these, yeah. and also teaching. Um what would you want to teach? Uh, I mean, I guess I would probably want to teach art. <laughs> but not just teach art. Like, I would actually, I mean, it's like a dream of mine to put together a school. The way that NASCAB, where I went to undergrad, was sort of founded and recalibrated in the 70s. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I like the idea of formulating a school based on present necessary ideals. Yeah. And also based on... A little bit of protectionist 
theory of protecting the fine arts when there's like always, you know, more like the graduates from the design program make more money or something. And so it always feeds yeah. back into these schools and threatens like the old program. Yeah. And I'm like a, a big proponent of the old studio art stuff. The quote unquote fine arts. The fine arts. Yeah. Les Beaux-Arts. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about, can you remember the first time you showed your work? Mm. In a public setting? Like in a, was yeah. it, was it a gallery or like a, a coffee shop? You know, there's all these yeah. different avenues of people as their first, first um, time they showed it. I remember it. it being like really, 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 really exciting. It was, um, so when, after undergrad, I lived in Toronto for three and a half years, mm. um, which is like the big city to go to in Canada. Mm -hmm. And I really loved it there while I was there. I had a great time. It was a small supportive art community and like I, I would have these tiny studios and buildings where like all the other professional artists in Toronto also were so it was a great mix of people and I worked I got a job eventually working in a gallery there um that was kind of cool my boss himself was an artist and he was this really weird guy and introduced me to a lot of artists I actually work with today at Canada. Oh, wow. But he he called my paintings I was making at the time. He was like, these look like patterns for toilet paper. And he, like, always was belittling me and telling me my work was shitty, but in a really loving way. Was so, What was the goal of a, of, of his, <laughs> angle, like, his angle? To say something like that to teasing. a young person. He's just teasing. Yeah, him. like loving abuse. This is how I was also raised. Is that a how lot you, of teasing in my family. So it is just that how you took it as like loving well, jabs? I, I don't know. I've come to associate that kind of treatment with the like impetus to rise against it. Mm. So and I think that often people apply that kind of psychology to challenge you to push yourself kind of. Yeah. But anyway, so I was in this environment in Toronto where there were just a handful of galleries and there was this one little gallery that people showed at that I like always dreamed of showing in. And I finally, I think I just like kind of marched over there. I don't really know what happened, but I had that some work one day and I got to do a show there. But I guess prior to that, I did show my work in like restaurants like mm -hmm. and at outdoor art fairs in Toronto, like these little gatherings in the park where you would rent for $120, like a kind of a tent top. Mm -hmm. And there were artists there that like that's what they that's how they did their whole career. Right. And I would sell these drawings. I would like mount them on foam core with plastic over the front. So they were kind of like records and records. Yeah, like sleeves. Saran over yeah, the Saran drawing. Yeah, Saran over the drawing. And then I would sell them for a few hundred bucks out of the park and just feel like, oh my God, I'm like doing so great. Cash That's and carry. So amazing. Hey, and that, that feels good. I'm not going <laughs> to, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But the show, like the eventual first show that I did in Toronto was with this girl, Erin Stump, who has a gallery in Toronto still. And I might do a show with her again. Oh, that's sometime. cool. So it comes full circle. Yeah, it would be awesome. And um, you've done a few shows and you work in a gallery. Um, I'm always curious how artists uh, manage their expectations when they enter um, the commerce end of showing work, you know, in a commercial gallery space where there's these things are for sale. And, you know, it... I've definitely bitten from the forbidden fruit, like a lot of bites. What does that mean? I mean, like I've gone behind the curtain and I've just been like hanging out there for the last five years, like like it or not, mm -hmm. in various 
capacities and right. positions. It's like at first you go back and maybe you're like a busboy, you know, but you're like a busboy and you're overhearing all this like talk from these high up people and you just kind of are like silently listening and uh-huh. um and like building your secret knowledge and professional thing but in the sort of art world is so small so you like rise up from being a busboy to like xyz and then eventually like you're pretty quickly you're just sitting at the actual table and you're i mean yeah and the input i mean the so the artists at canada are kind of like the some of the most successful artists in the world yeah so i see my boss who's like one of the best coaches in the world coaching these like high level kind of players and being like you need to fucking get those guys to take that Rothko down and put your shit up on the wall and it's not about me but eventually you do sort of aspire to that kind of no, that's a that's a great story. Like the Just idea of the of core. the gallerist as a as a uh, an active participant, as opposed to like okay, it's this person's well, show. Not all like that, you have no, a lot they are of not. Gallerists they are like not. Don't really know that much about art. Yeah, and I mean they love it, but they don't come at it from like a inside and outside mm-hmm. knowledge. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's why it was refreshing for me to hear. It's like not like okay, it's this person's show this month and this. But if the Ew. if the gallerist is really encouraging and coaching and like this is or maybe even developing a, a route to get to this place that you want to be, that's that's great. Um, but it's all like it's not they're not I'm like their dealer. It's not like I'm not an artist at the gallery. Like I come into my studio at night and then the next day I go in and I'm like an art dealer sending PF, PDFs to clients again and being like you should definitely buy this like i'll give you a discount or blah 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 like i just change roles every single day i do both it's kind of insane that's what what i mean are you comfortable with changing roles do you feel like do you feel like you're you're able to like switch that identity of artist do you leave it at the door when you enter work you're director of canada right yeah or are you are you still is it all one identity it's one it's the same identity just that both i like it's the same just both have these like gashes in them mm-hmm. kind of but i think it probably makes me better on uh, both at both in what way it's like mutually informative in the sense that so like working talking about other people's art as if it's your own really sort of helps you consider art as a communal activity and like can have a have like a deeper understanding and consideration of what art even is and what it means and what the value and like how to do it good so it it, it's like everything you do to help someone else also just helps you and then also just in the simple way of like seeing so many paintings and how other people resolve their issue in the painting like solutions that they came up Mm -hmm. with materially and compositionally and being able to when I'm looking at one of my paintings and I'm like, hmm, I can like pull out some tool that I saw somewhere Yeah, you're else learning. Use. We all learn yeah. from the stuff that right. we're looking learning. at. Learning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but you're, 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 you're. Oh, and then on, on the dealing side, it's yeah. like I'm good at it because I talk about the work in, and I can, I understand what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So you're... I don't have to rely on like, you should buy this house today. I yeah. can just talk about the art. Well, being and submerged in it as much as you are, yeah, it's gonna. I, I feel like it's gonna help. 
in both settings. Um, uh, what about frustrations with the art world? Did you read this this uh, article? Is it art in Art Week about like yeah, how do we that. solve these problems? But the only one I read is Mitchell Algus because yeah. he's the only one whose opinion I thought is. I mean, what some was of his the, opinion? I'm sure some of the other people were also mm -hmm. good, but. Do you remember what, what that one was? I don't need to know what Jeffrey Deitch's <laughs> problems are with yeah. the art, art world. Well, Mitchell is this guy. He taught science to high school, and he had he just did his gallery at night or after 4 p.m. or whatever. Yeah. Um, and now he, I think he just retired, and he's shown all these different people over the years. It's not – I mean, his gallery models – totally different and that's it's the kind of thing that i really admire and i think his big criticism was just that there shouldn't be so many art fairs yeah or that it's that, like, that, that was mentioned a few times yeah it's like the the, the pro problematic area of the I art mean, that's fair. true i kind of hate art fairs yeah. they make me very depressed and yeah. actually suicidal my mom's always like can you stop going to them yeah i i i didn't read all of the blurbs on that on that article, but I, I skimmed a bunch and I, I made a short list of uh, some of the common themes that were coming up more than once. So diversity or lack thereof in the um, certain parts of the contemporary art world, top to bottom, both like artists, people that work in the galleries, et cetera. Uh, education models, market transparency, um, passivity and laziness. And I think that's more related to our current political state and hmm. people mm -hmm. maybe just like not subtle message there. Yeah. Right. Uh, um, uh, going to see stuff in person as opposed right. to like living on in Instagram or on websites, mm -hmm. um, the art fair or the model of the art fair, uh, avoiding the tyranny of consensus. Um, it's like art hygiene. It's like yeah. having good hygiene means yeah. that you go to see shows in person. You yeah. Know? It's like having good hygiene means that you're able to maybe go to an art fair or do an art fair, but keep it in perspective and not mm -hmm. be seduced by the transactions. Yeah. Um, yeah. Would you would you add to that list, or is there anything oh, is in there that? that you're like definitely that, definitely that, maybe not that? Um, I just think people should make better art. Yeah. <sighs> But I'm just kidding. A lot of people are making really great art. Yeah. There's so many awesome artists. I always want, I'm like very tempted just in a playful sense to like rebuild the art world in terms of like moving things around and putting different people on top and giving people shows that haven't had shows yet that really deserve them. Like yeah. I am interested in moving everything around based on my evaluation of who's worthy and who, mm -hmm. who's like really worked hard and deserves it like i have my whole own kind of value system yeah. and um i don't know maybe it's not very nice maybe you're we're lucky that i'm not in charge it's megalomaniacal i'd be curious to see what the program would look like <gasps> yeah under your leadership um mitchell you know, algers would be larry gagosian yeah. under my leadership <laughs> Uh, so you, you've, you've brought up a few times that you're the, uh, a director at, at Canada, which is a great gallery here in New York. Um, what sorts of other jobs have you had that have, uh, that, that, you know, it's hard to earn, you know, it's a trap to start talking about art and career sometimes. I have had every yeah? single fucking job you can imagine. What was the best one? The best one? None of them were good. Well, it sounds like you like the one you're in right now. Oh, I like the one I'm in now. Yeah. What was the worst one then? 
like I've worked in a food court. I at a mall a lot of or something. Yeah, in like an underground mall in Montreal back in the day. Or do you mean recent, more recent? No, no, just just even I've worked in, in stores. In like since I've you're worked an adult. In restaurants. I've worked as a bartender. I did mm-hmm. tons of temp work. I did medical transcription. I worked in galleries. I worked at a library, like the public library, like reshelving books. Um, I have like independently helped to catalog private collections of people's work where there's like mm. just breakable stuff. So you've got breaking. chops in art administration. Oh God. Yeah. I worked at the school. I did tutoring when I was in grad school and I TA'd all these classes and I worked also like as the administrative assistant to the head of the graduate department. Mm-hmm. So I filed like everybody's report cards and read them all. In San Francisco? Yeah, that was pretty great. How did you like living in San Francisco? Um, Were you there for two years? Yeah, just from the beginning of the degree mm-hmm. till the end. I I liked it. I'm really happy I went to school there, but it was also kind of a crazy place. I think people's careers as artists really suffer there. Yeah. It's hard. Um, can you, do you have a guess as to why that is? Because people don't really care about art there. The people that live there? Yeah. The viewership? Yeah. Huh. They're like, they want to either go on a hike or go to like a golf club or work yeah. or maybe I don't know it seems like uh, one one point of view I have about Northern California and art is there's there's a such concentration of wealth with all that tech right. Crazy but it wealth. doesn't seem like it seeps into the arts there they do like, not they know don't spend anything about art they don't buy I mean maybe maybe I'm just don't know enough they but like it doesn't seem graphics. like they buy art because i work with a gallery in san francisco and, uh-huh. and i'm always like why aren't which why? gallery it's called romer young oh yeah 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 it's a, it's a he's a great i would go to all guy. their shows it was the one yeah. place that gave me hope i would go like cry <laughs> to vanessa and be like everybody in my school is so oh you know stupid. vanessa and joey yeah they yeah. were nice yeah well, they're great there's places like a block from the grad campus right so right okay I went there all the time yeah but even i mean even the people that were in grad school in san francisco no offense to everybody, but they even they weren't that interested in art. Like people in an MFA huh. program in this city even weren't yeah. that interested in art. Like they didn't go see shows. Like right. they were there from this weird, totally different, like alien standpoint. Like trying to get a master's in art and learn about art, like more as like a personal education, not because they wanted to be in the art world. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. I, you know, my. Or maybe it's normal. I lived in San Francisco for about a year right out of school and I worked a retail job at an art supply store. Um, And I'm out there a couple times a year. My wife is from East Bay, so we're out there to see family. It's awesome there. It's like the most beautiful place in the world. Yeah. I mean, it's got its problems like everywhere else, but, you know, I, I, you know, the art scene there, I'm always, I I love, but I'm also like, like, can't quite figure out. Um, Yeah. so like connected to the the day jobs and the cost of business of being an artist you know if you're not selling enough work to main to earn a like a healthy livelihood here um we have these job jobs uh, to jobs support to, that have i'm just because well, a lot of a students Canadian. listen to this and i'm always i'm always trying to nudge out of of the people i talk to how they are able to be an artist and the types of jobs that artists have so they can do this i was really lucky because i accumulated experience to work in the art world from really early on like i always had jobs i always 
like uh, you know I always worked from a young person on mm-hmm. so by the time it came time I I had to get a job here to get a visa to stay in the country like mm-hmm. I would be back in Canada with the tree planters and the grant writers and I really wanted to stay here because New York is the only place I've found that other people care about art as much as I do mm-hmm. And I had to get a job, so someone gave me some advice to go apply as an intern. Basically, this is advice from, like, my great-great-grandmother, mm-hmm. okay? Like, the new immigrants to whatever. And the, like, I don't know. Some of my great-aunt went to a store and was like, I'll work for free until I prove to you, like, how amazing I am. And then she, like, did it in some fabric store and, like, got hired. Like, I use that immigrant mentality and i did that with the gallery at james fuentes i was like i'll work for free i'll do whatever the fuck you want i cleaned his basement i did everything for free for six weeks i worked with josh ablo in the basement studio in the dead hot of summer photographing like three thousand paintings with no air conditioning his paintings his paint you know how many yeah those small little ones that he makes yeah Yeah, all of them (laughs) i like sharpie little numbers onto the back of every painting and i had a great time doing it Mm -hmm. and i worked so hard that they gave me a job and then they sponsored my visa and then it was like I was in. Yeah, that but was your I foot in the door. I just did it by starting work and then I never stopped. I like worked yeah. so hard. It sounds like you've got a healthy work ethic. <laughs> it's like which is psychotic. Nice. I applaud bit. that. Yeah, it also Thanks. sounds like the like the internship model. Like a yeah. lot of a lot of interns work for free and they hope that they get the job at the end uh, But if, you have or to something. do the not only do the internship but it's not but you have to actually put yourself like in it you have yeah. to take it seriously from day one it's like and i didn't even when i was interning there i like went i sold diaper bags at javits center one weekend i like went out to the hampton art fair and was like a usher on the street for this like awful hamptons art fair like i did other stuff like getting people money. out of their cars yeah type, type, and like come this way yeah and oh james Fuentes and his wife drove by me and i was like it was so (laughs) embarrassing i was wearing like an art fair t-shirt yeah and i did all that shit i don't know i was so shameless no it sounds like you you well when you're in the the job even if it was unpaid oh yeah you're making sure that you take it seriously but you're also a doing good work and b um almost letting the people know that you're working for right. that you're doing a good job and that you were there and that you were committed. That you're willing to do anything <laughs> for them and then actually do it. Yeah. If uh, you actually work harder than everybody else, then it's right. one way to get ahead. Right. And now you have, you're, you're essentially working full time and maintaining a studio practice. So I think when we were emailing back and forth about this visit, you're like, I have, I'm in studio two days a week. I come at night too. And you come in at night after work, right? But I yeah, forget that as a parent that there's days. also this time yeah, after nighttime. 8 p.m. that exists. Yeah. That's the benefit of yeah. having no relationship and no children. <laughs> <laughs> so here, here, here's a question: what, what would be your ideal week or day in studio? Um, if you could wipe away the day job, would you want to be a full time artist? Is that like a goal of yours? Yeah, you're nodding yes. <laughs> I don't want to lose my job. I like my yeah. job a lot, but um, I mean, there were. It's actually working. My full time job at Canada right now is better than it ever has been because we've hired a few people sort of under me. So I'm less like I still do my job, mm-hmm. but I'm not like the fall guy if like a something goes right. wrong, like with shipping or the emails wrong or whatever, and that relieves a lot of stress. So it's helpful I mean, I'm in a better position there than I have been in the past but I 
also because of the like restraint because the, that stuff keeps me away from the studio so much when I get here it's like so great it's like so much more potent so when I have a couple weeks off let's say in the summer or at Christmas I spend every day in the studio and it's like almost like too much I go into this like sublime like state of kind of perfect like crystalline mm-hmm. imagination like a child and so partly I'm I think about this a lot. I would be really, really scared to rip the cord on the setup that I have and like dive into that, like do actually doing what I want to be doing every day. Like I'm scared that it would shatter me. It's scary. You know, I I got laid off from a job. I don't know, you know, probably like in 2009, I think. And I, it was my sustainable job, you know, my, my Canada job for you. Like, right. And I suddenly didn't have it. And I was terrified and I had like a chunk of time where I was just working on my own art and I should have been in bliss, but I was terrified. Like it's a weird, right. yeah, weird response. And I think we're conditioned to like not, the stress not hug that as much as, yeah, there's so much stress. We, we should be hugging that. But trying we're to sort find of, the job, yeah. like that stress was one of the most painful experiences I've ever had and that I don't ever yeah. want to repeat. Um, can um, you... You have studio visits. You go on studio visits as a director of a gallery. So can you describe an ideal studio visit mm-hmm. with someone coming here, like what that would feel like for you? Um, yeah. I've had people in here. In the summer, this place gets like buggy and there's like flies around because yeah. it's almost like as if we're outdoors and there's like, well, yeah. anyway. <laughs> the I, So I've had some pretty awkward visits, but I've had great ones too, I think. I mean... In, oh, I used to have bad studio visits in grad school and I still have like the grudge I still have such an axe to grind with the people that were mean to me like mean in a different way than that guy that told you your work looked like toilet paper like way worse than Ugh. that they were like give up this is work your work is meaningless like this, this is in is, grad school yeah in grad isn't school. that what people do in grad school though they try and crush you I don't know they were yeah, real okay. assholes these people but I don't, I mean, I would never go into somebody's studio no matter what I thought and give that kind of feedback mm-hmm. like ever in a million years. I would encourage everybody to m- make art and keep doing what they're doing and try to find something to respond or, to. And level constructive criticism yeah. without, you know, right. assassinating the dreams of a young artist or criticism's whatever. Criticism different. I think it's good to lead by example rather than through, like, modification. Mm-hmm. But um, the best studio visit I ever had was, you know, they call him the Pope in the art world, Miss Matt Matt Higgs yeah. from White Columns. Yeah, well, you did they a show there. They don't call him that, that for nothing. Spring? Yeah, it was yeah. last June. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. It was a turning point. I mean, not because, well, doing the show at White Columns is pretty dreamy mm-hmm. and it's really special because you can only do it if you haven't had a show yet. It's like, right. it's got to be at that first stage or else if you... You know, get a show at Nikel Boshan. You can never go back and have a show at White Collins. Right, you can't go backwards. You can't go backwards. But Matt is, he's an artist and a curator, and he's someone that I always Mm. knew of as being that. So usually people like that, that I feel some sort of affinity 
or like hopefulness towards what they've ultimately accomplished i try to not go near them at all because it's like fragile or you don't want to fan out i don't (laughs) neither i mean well i just get too tongue-tied like i couldn't couldn't even but i finally got matthew to come i like so i you know and he comes in the gallery and i we knew who each other were but I could never formulate like a full sentence in front of him. And then he was at the gallery one day and I had been feeling kind of good because I had had the show in Minneapolis and Mm -hmm. was like happy with it. And those images kind of went around the Internet. And I was like, "Okay, I'm starting to. You have some confidence to maybe get those words out in the gallery. And I was like, you should come by my studio sometime. And then I after was so like embarrassed i was like i can't believe i asked her to come to my studio i wish i hadn't done that but then and then i was like never gonna follow up and then he emailed me like uh-huh. three weeks later and was like actually i would like to come over and so he offered me this small show and oh no well first he came over mm-hmm. and i just showed him like painting after painting after painting and he was like he asked me like what would you do if you ran out of ideas and i was like i would never run out of ideas yeah, like yeah, i always yeah. have more it was just like That's a good question though. he didn't talk a ton he just made you feel like he made me feel really inspired mm-hmm. and he got it you know how long did he spend here about an hour yeah okay. and then and then he emailed me and said about the show like just after just after one studio visit yeah and then like that afternoon, like let's yeah. do a show. Yeah, like two hours. Later. That's a special thing. I think that's a rare bird. Yeah. It sounds I like a rare bird. Died. I was like, <laughs> totally wow, that's great. Happy. It was that's good. great. What about the worst studio visit ever? Um, either, either in here or like you've gone on one as a as the, the people, director of a gallery. Oh, visits that I've gone on. Either or, like if if one rises, to the I top. really do not like doing studio visits in the dead hot of the New York summer. Yeah, those when are it's physically real uncomfortable. Hot and you're sweating and you're uncomfortable and unhappy and thoughts like start to just it's like you're on drugs. Yeah, it affects Those how are we very think. those are always very bad. So any visits. studio visit in the summer. Yeah. Of New I York. Think, I mean there's some people that I should probably apologize to where I've gone over in that state <laughs> and it's never been the same between us mm-hmm. again. Um do you have do you have uh any current influences that, that are important to mention or cite and they you know they could be art related non-art related um you know we all have we're all influenced by things around us and we're all inspired by different things like what's what's in that little basket for you right now um the two shows that i saw recently that i'm really crazy about are susan rothenberg show it's baroni westwater um, and it's just a sort of small grouping of paintings, like five or six, mm-hmm. maybe it's up eight paintings on two floors. And it's like a painting of her dog. And well, I don't know if it's, her, well, it's gotta be her dog. The dog has a green face. And then there's another one where the dog has a yellow face and, um, the Max Beckman show I thought was really awesome. But I went, when I was in Paris for Fiac recently, I went to the Orangerie and felt a great com- uh, like thing with Soutine and U- Utrillo mm-hmm. in particular which like I always knew was there but there's this one Soutine painting of a dead turkey and it's like you know it's turkey so yeah. it's kind of funny and it remind I mean it I loved it, it reminded me of why I'm, why I make art well, that's good what about non-art influences does um, anything come to mind yeah well I like TV and books a lot 
I read the recent Jonathan Safran Foer book. Well, I read all of it except for like the last 20 pages because it sort of stopped making sense at that point. Okay. But it's like a story of a... What's it called? It's called Here I Am. Here I Am. This I love reading the... I love reading like thick American fiction, you know, Mm -hmm. like that book, The Goldfinch or Jonathan Mm -hmm. Franzen. Like I really love those kinds of literature books and Mm -hmm. um it that that book is a story about a jewish family in brooklyn and the like inter-social dynamics between the parents and the kids and the relationship of the parents and the grandparents and it had a lot of stuff about israel and it was very thought-provoking for me because it was kind of like going on a like a a movie like a like a Disney World ride through my own childhood or something. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. And uh, and you said TV shows. What is there a series that you're into right um, now? I'm tr- I just started watching Atlanta. Um, I hear that's good. It's real good. Yeah, that's uh, Glover. What's yeah. his name? Donald Glover. Donald Glover. He was on Community. Mm-hmm. He's really great, and, and he produced it too. He's like he all did. his show. Let's not forget that he also had a um, a role in Magic Mike. Double XL. Did you know that? No. I've never <laughs> seen a Magic Mike movie. Yowza. Um, well, they're actually good quite for progressive. Him. They're weird. Are I watched they? them with my wife. They're, um, they're bizarrely smart. I have a vague memory of being like in the room and someone turned it on, but then I can't yeah. remember. At least the second one. I can't. I, maybe I haven't seen the first one, but the one. second one is like. It's these hunkoid stripper guys, and they're all super emotional and, like, love each other. It's not what you would expect. My sister helped, like, my sister's best friend designs Channing Tatum's houses or something. She, my sister works in Hollywood. She's a movie producer person. Mm -hmm. So, one time Chan Chan emailed me. (laughs) Chan Tater Tots? Yeah, for advice about what art to buy, and I sent him back an email with, like, 47 young artists and I was like maybe this is gonna be too like hard for you because it was like some pretty raw it's like Annalie McKenzie Alex Chavez like Catherine Bernhardt also I threw yeah. in some Canada people and I never heard back he never heard back again. he wrote me and then he never wrote back that's cool that he directly he, he contacted you directly and as uh-huh. opposed to a consultant or something yeah he like was that. like hi this is Chan that's how he referred to himself yeah Chan well, we'll have to follow I hear up with Chan. He's a super nice guy. He seems like it, but I don't. I, we might not have the same yeah. taste. So Atlanta, the TV show. Um, oh, I mean, okay. I love. I have to give a shout out to L- Lena Dunham and Girls. Girls, I just think yep. it's like the best ever, mm-hmm. best TV show ever, mm-hmm. ever made. Mm-hmm. And I really liked um, the one, um, the one that was like a reality. It was about The Bachelor, but it's not The Bachelor. Unreal season I don't one. Know that that one. show's fucking amazing. Okay. Um, Loved it. Yeah, I, th- I feel like it's always great to talk about or acknowledge the things that are non-art. Yeah, that I get actually really play a role in our lives. About TV <laughs> great. Also. Huge um, role. Do you have any any um, like? I know goals are sometimes a slippery thing to talk about because it's a sort of a setup, and then you're like, you might fail on. I want to curate yeah. the Whitney Biennial. You want to curate the Whitney Biennial? That's a great goal. <laughs> What else? For your what about for so a curatorial project is the first thing that comes to mind. What about for your paintings? Do you have a goal for your paintings? I want to make better paintings. Yeah. Keep making them bigger and better. I think like 
again, bigger and better, like make a like a these like like we said started at the front of the conversation. These are arguably small. small. This is. I mean, Do you see yourself making like a big, you know, ten foot canvas? Or I'm a little panel? torn about it because I think that there is something very sweet and homey about this type of size, which mm -hmm. plays into the work for me. But being the working on the gallery side and having a, intimate knowledge of how a lot of artists got started and what the first 15 years of their sh like exhibiting career looks like they often seem to start out with small stuff like this and then move sort of further yeah. along it's practical it's a practical yeah. decision i mean making big work presents a number of problems right. especially if it's not flying out the door mm -hmm. sales wise i mean storage all those things true yeah. Scary. Um. <laughs> I don't like having a lot of stuff. Yeah. Well, that's smart. That's good. That's good advice for, I think, young artists is like, just because you're seeing huge stuff in museums doesn't necessarily mean you need to be, should be well, making Well, people huge always stuff. are like, you should make this bigger. I want to see how your brushstrokes play out bigger, mm. blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no. Well, if anybody tells me to do it, then I don't want to do it. Yeah. That's a good response. Good instincts. But. Yeah. I don't feel like I want to see these bigger right now. Cool. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, That's good. Thanks so much for letting me come by. And, you know, I was just thinking, you know, this is the first recording I've done post-election stuff. And the coincidence it is I'm speaking to a Canadian. Yeah. Come to Canada, everyone. <laughs> yeah. Justin um, Trudeau loves gay people. Yeah. Um, but thanks for letting me come in here and, and see your work. And uh, real quick, these are going... People can see your work in Miami at this fair. Yeah, at NADA. At fair. NADA. So that's an opportunity to see these paintings. And um, yeah, thanks again. It's been great. And we've made it to the end. A quick reminder that listeners can learn more about this project and the artists featured by visiting deepcolorpodcast.com. You can also find the series and subscribe in iTunes. Thank you for listening and check back soon for a new episode.